Hello, my fans, friends. Welcome to the Rich Terring podcast feed, powered by ACAS Plus. Thanks to everyone who's come to see the Can I Have My Ball Back tour so far. It's been going really well. I've got a four-star review in The Standard, four-star review in The Telegraph, who once called me the worst comedy experience of the year, so that's a turnaround. Uh, people have been coming, people have really been enjoying it, and it's getting better and better. The only gigs this week are both in Pocklington, the town I was born in, near York. Uh, there's a couple of tickets left for the evening show and a few more tickets left for the matinee, I think about 4.30. But love to see you there, Yorkshire. Pop along, check richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs to see if I'm coming near to you. There are tickets left for nearly every show in the tour. I think Norwich has sold out. Uh, and a couple of gigs in London could do with your support as well. Anyway, please listen to the podcast. Do spread the news about the podcast to your friends. Listen as much as you can. Numbers are slightly down, which may affect the future of this podcast. So just leave it playing, even if you're not in the room. Love you. <laughs> now sit back, relax, and enjoy whatever it is you're going to listen to. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, welcome to another Rahalastapa Book Club. This week I'm joined by Adrian Childs, who's talking about his book, The Good Drinker. Um, hello, Adrian. Hello, mate. Thanks for that introduction. I was on ITV London last week, and despite hours of briefing calls and exchanges of information, they went, Adrian Charles is here to talk about his book, The Big Drinker. <laughs> I've, I've got the book right in front of me. It would be terrible to misread it. But yeah, The, the Big Drinker, that could be the follow-up. If, well, that's the prequel. If, if, that's the prequel, really. Prequel, I suppose, yeah. If, if things go wrong, you could, you could drift back. Yeah. Uh, well, look, we, we talked a little bit about this, I think, when you were on uh, the uh, the Rahalaspa main podcast a few years ago. I think it did. We did. It, this did come up, um, the, uh, the whole drinking thing. This is a sort of fascinating uh, book about your own journey through the decades with alcohol uh do you want to tell us w where the impetus for this came from and why you wanted to write this book well uh, i made a film a, a documentary for the bbc called drinkers like me which arose out of this feeling i had that you know, i never considered myself a problem drinker but i was drinking more and more and more and because so many of us have this notion of something called an alcoholic, which is, by the way, you know, the medical community is not an expression used anymore. It's oh, sort really? of way out of date. Yeah. But we, it's quite sort of hardwired into us, this idea of an alcoholic and the, the image of whom is, you know, the caricature of whom is somebody who, you know, drinks wine in the morning wakes up in shop doorways, sleeps on park benches, you know, always falling over and banging their head, all that kind of thing. Because if, if, we, if we're not that, then we think we're okay. And I just thought, well, I can't be okay. I'm, I'm drinking that much. And then I realised just how much I was drinking. Yeah. And I also realised it had slightly started knackering my liver. Through, only through making the programme did I realise this. And then I resolved to drink less when I kind of pulled it off. So that's what I wanted to write about. Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting uh, journey in in the sense that most people will go, "I'm drinking too much. 
I'm going to quit entirely or I'm just going to ignore it and carry on. Uh, and this book is about something that I find very difficult doing anything in moderation. But the idea of, uh, of sort of trying to get at least closer to, if not on your recommended units per week, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a lot. I think because there is this, there is this uh, hardwired sort of Alcoholics Anonymous type attitude. Although you know, I'm very careful only to praise AA. I don't I think they do brilliant, brilliant work. But because of this idea of the alcoholic inverted commas accompanying that is this idea that the only real way of dealing with excessive alcohol consumption is to stop completely. And I think a lot of people who do drink too much are are frightened of seeking help because they fear that they're going to be told they have to stop drinking completely. That that's the only way. And I think they kind of they fall between they fall between the gaps, you know. Yeah. And so uh, you know, I just wanted to get to them, and also the vast majority of people who end up getting ill with alcohol who who end up getting liver disease or whatever they are drinkers like me or drinkers like I was you know drinking yeah. a lot but not looking like the extreme drinkers sure and and so i think it's just important you know to get to them to realize you know there's more of us because there's more of us drinking so most people, most people who present at, at uh, in hospital with liver disease are in my category, as was. Yeah, well, it it, it resonated a lot, a lot with me. I think you know we're from the same generation, basically. You're a couple of years older than me, but drinking the drinking culture, right? You know, I've been drinking. I've actually just I've stopped for a couple of years now, so I've actually knocked it on the head, but uh-huh. not. I just stopped for a bit and it's carried on. I haven't really, it wasn't really, I've, I've got to stop or anything. But when I, I started drinking probably at 14 and was a, a, a easily, I think I was drinking every night at 14, but we certainly were, were out a lot. The, ho- the whole culture of friendship was drinking. And then throughout both university and then the, my job, which is also a job like yours that involves mm. a lot of time in pubs and going out yeah. with your mates, we were, you know, we we're absolutely caning it through through those times so the, so your your story really resonates with you you estimate that you've uh, drunk three miles worth of, yeah. of drinks. I mean, <laughs> I mean that was on the back of the envelope uh, yeah sort of calculation by the way i would have been drinking every day when i was 14 if i got hold of the bloody stuff but because i was wasn't shaving i couldn't get into pubs or anything so, <laughs> or i couldn't get served in pubs so i mean that was about the only thing that limited me but yes i worked out roughly if you laid all my drinks out they in in uh, drunk in 40 years since i was 15 it'd be about three miles long which is yeah. a lot of poison to put through your system and that's bad enough but i could forgive myself if i'd really enjoyed wanted or needed all of those drinks but i mean more than half of them probably two-thirds i didn't particularly want need or enjoy on no. consideration i was just drinking for the sake of drinking, drinking, I was bored, drinking because I had half a bottle of wine left, drinking because I couldn't think of anything else to do, drinking because the pub was open for another hour, you know, drinking because it's what I'd always done with a particular friend and just drinking, well, I'm here, I've got nothing else to do, I might as well have another one, and and, and so on and so on. And it is mindless drinking. It's just, it, it's mad, you know, just all I've really done to stop, essentially, and there's more to it than this, is just... I've stripped out the drinks I don't really want, need, or enjoy, and just focus on the ones I do want, need, or enjoy, and I enjoy them all the more. Yeah. Well, no, could, again, I, could, that, I completely got that. I remember a few, maybe 15 or so years ago, uh, I, I went to a pub and I had a pint and a half of Guinness, uh, and, I, and that was all I had, and that was quite unusual. And I felt so good at that point. Yeah. I kind of conc- Maybe it was like two pints, but I had a pint and a half. I thought this is the perfect amount of alcohol to drink. I'm buzzing. It feels lovely, yeah. but I yeah. know I'm not going to wake up Funnily in the morning hungover. Funnily enough, well, my problem was is that I never got hungover. I mean, I was just too good at it. Was my problem. <laughs> so, but so there was that. But also, it's interesting you say a pint and a half of Guinness because that's what I've sort of come 
come down to the same conclusion. That is just a pint and a half. It's just, it's, it's just what I like. And I mean, and I mean, alongside that, I'd say the other realization I've come to is that the only drink that brings about a change in emotional state is the first one, right? The yeah. first pint. And within a few minutes, often earlier, in probably in anticipation of the feeling you know you're about to get. But anyway, it brings about that change in emotional state. And then I think it is true that every subsequent drink is just a vain sort of fruitless attempt to recreate that change in emotional state that the first drink gave you. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. And every subsequent drink has... You know that 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 much less benefits and does that much more harm. So if you can really focus on that, you know, I just I think it's just a good thought to have in your head. You know, when you're teaching somebody to play golf, you say just don't don't have too many swing thoughts. Just have one thought. Well, if that's one thought for for tonight, it is hang on. Beyond that first one, how much difference is it making? Yeah. And, you know, I think it, uh, the book is your journey, as well as a few other you, you talk to a few other people who are moderating or, or stopping for different reasons. But, it, does, it you know, you're inviting the reader. And I think even if you didn't invite the reader, the reader would <laughs> do this anyway, to think yeah. about their own consumption and why they why they why we drink so much. I mean, I found that interesting because I was, you know, I, I wasn't very sporty and I wasn't very macho. But I think for me as a kid and as a teenager drinking was a way of showing you were a man and and drinking a lot was a way of being manly you know without or being grown up i suppose without without you know having to fight hopefully and without having to be good yeah, at sport and yeah. stuff and it's sort of interesting how that you know the, i think that very similarly for you you find it hard to imagine in your younger years even being friends with someone who yeah. doesn't drink because how would you what how would you socialize with them so it was a way of yeah, selecting yeah. friends and then you're once you've done that you're sort of trapped within that culture i suppose as well yeah i think i think you are and i think there are complex reasons why that's happened it's to do it's due in some part i would say to exposure to alcohol and the images we get in television on television advertising and so on when you know, they, they, it is just, you know, from an early age, you know, you see, you know, if I watch football, I'd then see, you know, post match interviews, oh, you'll enjoy your drink tonight and uh, he owes you a pint and all that kind of thing. I mean, all these yeah. things sort of invade all their way into your, into your, uh, in, into your young mind. I mean, also, I just think it's a, it's a sort of an unintentional consequence of the licensing laws. I remember my dad telling me when I was about 14 or 15, he said, you know, difficult age because you you're too old to stay at home all the time but you're too young to go to the pub it really sticks in my mind you know so you know the pub has already become you know a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow an answer to the perennial question of life is like what am i going to do tonight you know I'll, yeah. I'll go to the pub it's set up to answer to all those questions but yeah. i think i mean you say you know the this all all of your friends are uh, you know or you know all your friends are drinking. You can't imagine hanging around as I couldn't. You know, I didn't know, and to this day, I still don't quite not to do know what to do with people <laughs> who don't drink. You know, it's just because it's just so sort of what I do. You sit down and just have a drink and talk to somebody. That I think what happens then is that you surround yourself with other drinkers, and this happens quite subconsciously but deliberately. And that is your way of social norming, of of just, you know, of just um, giving yourself permission to drink like every, validating your 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 decisions on that. So, you know, so let's say so a clean break, finished school, go to university, you know, left the Midlands, came to London, you know, and over four years, let's say I made thirty friends, right? But thirty friends and acquaintances, some close, some not so close, but you know, people I'm still in touch with, you know. But in extraordinary coincidence, you know, all thirty of them are drinkers. Yeah. You know, a big drinker's now. So, you know, already I'm self-selecting that group, which validates and confirms my habits. And I've got somebody to drink with all the time. You think, well, everybody drinks. Yeah. Everybody drinks like me. So 
I'll carry on doing it. But, you know, you have made that, you know, you have made that happen. I have made that happen. And that is a big scene of drinkers like me. It's the kind of arrogance, really, of, of just saying, well, everybody drinks. Everybody drinks this much. I mean, the, 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 what I keep coming back to is this extraordinary statistic, you know, what it was to me at the time. And to some extent, sometimes it still is that, you know, if you take all drinkers and that, so you, you take out anyone who's, who's, you know, abstemious, you know, you're a recovering alcoholic or you don't drink for religious reasons or whatever it is, so you don't so you never touch a drop. If you take all drinkers, you know, what percentage of all drinkers are drinking within the recommended guidelines for, you know, safe drinking, which, you know, is about, is 14 units, which is about six and a half pints of beer and, and, and so on. And most drinkers, a week, that is, and most drinkers, when you ask them that question, and do feel free to try this, will say, none. Nobody drinks. No drinker drinks that little. Yeah. Well, in fact, it's like 70, it's 70% of yeah. drinkers drink that little. And even if you allow for a vast margin of error, you know, an error is due to self-reporting of drinking and all that, we all know about underestimating drinking. If you allow for a vast margin of error, you can say that more than half of drinkers, with some certainty, do drink within the guidelines. So yeah. it's we're the outliers. We're <laughs> the big drinkers. Like if you want to carry on drinking bigly, as uh, Donald Trump once said, you know, carry on drinking a, drinking a lot, then you know, do so by all means, but don't go around saying everybody drinks this much because it's just not true. No, well, you know, I, I was surprised by that as well, and I thought exactly the same as you. And 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 similarly to you, you feel I think when you work in a, again a business where lots of people are drinking, you can always point to ten or twenty people who are who, who drink way more than you. But, yeah. But I think it is very interesting to sort of. I mean, obviously, when you're young and you're, you're having fun, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. A, you're enjoying the drinks and your body's young enough to cope with it. It's the fact that you carry on forever. But you no, know, through my 20s, even into my, uh, certainly up to my 40s, and, and I, was, I was comfortably drinking 14 units a night. I mean, I, you know, and I would very yeah. rarely have a, a night off. Occasionally, I would give up yeah. when I was trying to lose some weight or something, and I could stop for a bit. But yeah. But I, if I was drinking, I would I would be out all night drinking. You know, I would I I, I would assume I drank fifty units yeah, in yeah. a night. Sometimes I would have thought. Yeah, well, like you, you and uh, you know, you and me both. I mean, I think the point is that yes, when you're young, I mean, it does increase your risk of certain, you know, of certain health issues. But when you're young, when you're young, you you that comes from a base level of risk which is very low. So it's less of a problem than when you're sort of in middle age, when you're in your 50s, then your risks are going up all the time. And so adding drink to that risk, it does elevate your risk. But I mean, what I'd say about that is that, you know, again, getting away from this idea of the alcoholic, i.e. the one who's absolutely addicted, and then the rest of us are all okay, right? Is that, I mean, I just I just think it's balls, you know, it, it's the fact and I'm indebted to Lee Mack, actually, in the book for ex expressing it better than I could, is that, you know, it's not a somebody's got this disease, alcohol, and somebody has it. It's just, it's just levels of addiction. You know, if yeah. you drink a little bit, you're a bit addicted. You drink all day, every day, you're very addicted. And, you know, and I think, I mean, the trouble is, logically, the more you drink in your, as, a, as a youngster, then the more addicted you're likely to get. I mean, that is the chief danger of it. It's just worth giving some thought to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you, you write about your university days and there's lots of funny memories from university, as I have too. I think, but I think like you, you know, we are both uh, maybe not massive hits with, with girls and maybe <laughs> not, maybe, maybe not... Um, so so socially outgoing. Even though I was always performing, I was I was very shy in, in public. I felt yeah. like drink was a way to you know to you, you talk about the having an excuse to drink, but I think also drink is an excuse to behave in the way that you want to behave. Whether you know how much of it is really happening, how much of, how much drunkenness yeah. is 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 you allowing yourself to get drunk or feeling drunk, but it allowed you to 
be it allowed me to be crazy in social situations when I felt like going home most of the time, and it allowed me to talk to girls though you know when I yeah. was drunk, so therefore not necessarily the best time to talk to them i mean i'm just I'm just remembering some of the chief womanizers among my friendship group at university and they were drinking like flipping fish as well, so I, you know, I, couldn't, I couldn't. I couldn't really give myself. Uh, I couldn't really give myself that get out. But right. you, know, you talk about our generation. You know, I still. You know, I still ask my. You know, I still ask my daughters. One's left university and one's just started, and I said to them, you know, when they were talking about the, you know, the challenges of when you first go there and making friends, and it was always we went down to the pub, we went to this event, we did this, and that. I said, well, what do you do if you don't drink? And they just said, I've got absolutely no idea, <laughs> you know, how you do it. And it's just, you know, that's just so wrong. We've got to think of a, you know, a, a, a different way of, 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 of sort of doing this. Yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you think that, I mean, I, I've noted, I gave up drinking three or four years ago for a year, and, and I found the non-alcoholic drinks a waste of time. But this time, in the last 20 or so months, I've not been drinking. I've found the non-alcoholic drinks have improved immeasurably. In fact, I yeah. know, and uh, in, in terms of some of the spirits, actually indistinguishable. I keep on having to check the bottle to make sure I haven't yeah. accidentally poured out of the actual gin bottle. Um, and I wonder whether that might improve things. It means you can still go to the pub and you can still have a yeah. a pint in front of you. Yeah, and, it, and... It's in, yeah, that's that's really that's really helped me having uh, having sort of the, the availability of alcohol free alcohol-free beer and i think it's important to remember you know alcohol-free beer is probably the second healthiest thing you can drink in a pub after water right because everything else is either alcohol or full of sweetness yeah or sugar right so i mean my frustration for a long time is that unlike some you know big beery uh, countries like germany you know you'll have a row of pomps and like alcohol free has you know has equal billing right with the with with normal beer and i mean literally the first the last night was the first time i'd ever seen an alcohol free beer on tap yeah yeah and it was lucky saint in a pub near where i live and you know that's a game changer for me because you've got a you've got a proper drink to hold yeah you know because you know generally for a long time and it's still generally the case There'll be a, a bottle, a, a poxy little 330 mil <laughs> bottle of Bex Blue or something, you know, look, just skulking in the bottom of a fridge behind the bar when it should be sort of out and proud. Heineken do some draft stuff. And I think the Guinness, the Guinness um, Zero beer is a bit of a game changer as well. And so apparently yeah. that is on draft in Ireland now. Right. I was told I haven't had it myself, you know, so... 
Yeah, I mean that's a you know that's you know, that's a big yeah that 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 is a big deal. That does help. It's I mean, just really. Yes. Well, the only thing I think is, you know, you can still I don't go out as much as anywhere near as, as I used to, which makes it a lot easier. Uh, but the only problem with going if you I've been to some parties where and it's often about sort of 60, 40 now that lots of people aren't drinking. So people feel a bit more comfortable with it. Yeah. But by the end of the night, if you're sober, you get to see what yeah. you're like when you're drunk. Yeah, and it's, yeah. But the end of the night is extremely boring. Drunk people are absolute. If you're not drunk as well. You can't yeah, really converse yeah. with a drunk person, and that's that's the only downside of it. I think. Yeah. I mean, actually, um, Professor David Knott, who I mentioned in the book, a neuropsychopharmacologist, I think is his branch of medicine, but he's found a way with some company of sort of synthesizing alcohol, right. so you get the benefits of alcohol without any of the liver, you know, without any of the right. physical health risks, and he's come up with a. There's a botanical kind of brew called censure or something like that, which is, you know, gives you a bit of a buzz. Yeah. Which which is interesting. I think time and again, it's interesting talking about the book is that you end up sort of distilling down what you really think. I mean, I, I you know, I wish I could sort of re- keep rewriting the book because in conversations like this, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of different sort of ideas have evolved. And, it's, and I realise what you can say that has an impact. And it's so often it's about reframing the way you think about alcohol and think about drinkers, stuff like realizing you're the outlier, you know, you're, you know, you're not the, you know, the majority are drinking, um, you know, are drinking within the guidelines. So it becomes a bit like um, uh, lockdown where, you know, it's the power of social norm. And if everyone else is abiding by the lockdown rules, then you're happy to abide yourself. If you see other people flouting them, you think, "Fuck this! I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out myself." It's a bit like that with drinking. When you, when you see the world as full of moderate drinkers, and you realise you're in the minority, <laughs> all right, you might just carry on, but you might think, "Well, you know, I'm a bit different." Yeah. I mean, the other way, sort of counterintuitively, I've thought about how I'm, you know change the way you think is that there's so much. You know, look at alcohol. And you see, you know the. Okay, you see, you know, it's a good thing it has its benefits, but generally you might say it's evil. It's had the potential to cause harm, you know, and it is the most harm-causing drug, you know, as give, you know, more people take it, it causes more, it causes, uh, you know, more harm in A and E's and 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 all the rest of it. But I think the way to look at alcohol might be to say it's actually precious. It's a precious thing. You know, so you think I've got this precious thing. I'm going to have one drink of that, and it just changes the way I feel. It's relatively cheap. <laughs> it's relatively safe. Drunk at small levels, and it makes you feel like that's so a cherish it. Yeah, you know, cherish it. Not, I mean, not just about. I'm not talking about swilling a chateau. What's the name? <laughs> Sixty one or whatever, and cherishing it like that. Or if oh, that's part of it, that's good. You know, because you know, less is always more. But just you know, cherish what that first pint gives you. Yeah. Um, you know, I just think, you know, I've used the same kind of language about religion, you know, you know, and I'm, you know, a Catholic convert and I'm, you know, I'm no sort of evangelical headbanger, but I'm sort of pro faith. So, you know, something like my dad will always, oh, religion causes all wars, you know, a pox on religion. I said, well, it's not, it's just what religion does to you. It's how you use religion. If religion makes you a nicer, tolerant, more kind person, then it's a good thing. But, you know, religion can turn you into some, you know, intolerant, you know, murderer, you know, yeah. it can, it, 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 it's not the thing, it's what you do with it. And I, I think that's true with alcohol, you know, yeah. do you use it for your benefits, you know, without it controlling you? Do you use it, you know, to, you know, socialising in a, you know, in a decent way? Or, you know, or does it come to overwhelm you and turn you into a, into a loon? It's not the thing, yeah. it's how you deal with that thing. And and it's understanding yourself because I think again it seems your journey, but but also what everyone should be doing is just having a think about why why they're drinking. You know, if you're drinking yeah. to get to oblivion, then you pro- yeah. certainly by the time you're in your forties, you probably want to be examining yeah. well, the reasons I mean, for that. that. <laughs> you make an in, an interesting point made by a therapist in the book who'd written a, a great book called The Kindness Method, which is well worth looking at, called Shuru Izadi. Hmm. But, you know, I was advancing to her my 
theories, which she kind of agreed with, this idea of the first drink is all a benefit and every subsequent drink, you know, the, the benefits diminish and the harms increase. So just stick to the first drink. And it's a focus on that. And she said, yeah, well, that will work. He said, but what if you're drinking for oblivion? And then, I mean, then I think something different's going on. I don't know what the answer to that is. I mean, I, I you know, if, if your absolute objective is to get smashed out your head, <laughs> so you don't know which way is up because you want to, you know, escape, because you just want to do it for whatever it is, because you want to escape yeah. yourself or you enjoy being absolutely uncontrollably smashed, then, I mean, less is never going to be more. And, you know, you know, moderation is not going to get you there. So... You know, that, so, you know uh, that's the limitation of my way forward. And actually, another woman said something really interesting in the book, um, a sort of a client of Sheru's, actually, a writer called Marissa Bate. And she made an interesting point. You know, um, he said, the trouble is, is that sort of moderating drinking, being careful about drinking, runs counter to a lot of what therapy tells you about living in the moment. Don't worry about the past. Don't worry about the future. Live in this moment. Well, it's not a big stretch to think, I'm oh, living in the moment. I fucking am, right? Down goes the bottle of scotch. I'm living in this moment. I don't care about tomorrow. I don't care about yesterday. Well, you know, that runs counter, and that, and that's, that, is a, that is another challenge. I hadn't really thought of that, I must say. Yeah. I mean, not everyone. For me, I find moderate, you know, I find moderation in anything very difficult. I try, I'm try, I, I can either give something up, which I'm quite good at, but it, like with chocolate's worse than alcohol for me. If I, if I eat chocolate, yeah. Like I did, it happened last night. I just had a biscuit and thought that'll be fine. And then five minutes later, I've eaten know, you know, exactly half, a, half a drawer of chocolate. You know what? I'm exactly the same with, with, I'm like that with food. Right. And what, in, when people talk about drink in that context, they say, I haven't got an off switch. All right. Yeah. I can't, I can't stop when I start. Now, you know, mercifully with drink, though I've drunk an enormous amount of my time, you know, when it gets, say, 11 o'clock, and I'm not, I do tend to go home, but there's others will just go on into the night. Just cannot stop at all. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not like that with drink. I am like that with food. When I, you know, if I'm not careful once I start, I just, I just can't, <laughs> you know, I just can't, I just can't stop. So I need a different approach to that, which actually, interestingly, is just don't start. I mean, obviously, yeah. I've got to eat something, but I know <laughs> if I have one cream cracker, I will have the whole box. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That's a particular trigger for me, but, or generally, I can just get into a, I can just get into an absolute feeding, feeding frenzy. I mean, I mentioned in the book um, a guy called Paul Cook, who was a drummer in the Sex Pistols. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he, well, he, he the reason I mentioned him in the book because he because he 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 said something interesting about heroin about being addicted to heroin and getting off it and he said you know it was wasted on young idiots like me you know it was it was you know when you that's the tragedy of it you know when I'm eighty he said you know that's when I'll need it when I'm in pain I can't get about and obviously I'll be on the gear the whole time <laughs> yeah. and I thought that was an interesting I mean I think he was joking but yeah. it, it was it's an interesting thought that because. It's a bit like I, st I always want to have access to drink. I want to be able to sit in a pub and have a quiet pint, you know, when I'm in my 70s and 80s, if I'm still going then. By that stage, I don't want to be so addicted. I can't just have one pint. and I don't want my liver to be fucked. And I just want, you know, I so it's for the love of drinking. I sort of want to, I want to drink less. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm, you know, I have a drink with Paul, with Cookie, every, you know, every now and then. And we were talking about another friend of ours who shall remain nameless, for whom a quiet couple of early evening pints are no use whatsoever. They're actual torture, and he will actually just not take part in that. Right. If he knows he can't crack on until three in the morning, he won't, you know, he just he, he just won't take part. And Cookie was saying, he said, I feel a bit sorry for him. He can't do this, just meet for a quick pint, have a quick chat. Yeah. You know, it's got to be... You know, it's 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 got to be more than it's got to you know it's got to go the whole way, and I feel sorry for people who are in that you know who get in that state. Yeah, you it know, is interesting. It is interesting, and it is of you know, like you say, every, it's it's it, all these individual experiences. I don't, you know, I, like I say, I've stopped, but not really consciously, and not and I and I'm. It's interesting to read this book because I've you know been thinking, oh, you know, I'd like a glass of whiskey at the end of the night, but then. 
yeah, even when I was, I wasn't drinking loads when I stopped, but I just even, even like a, you know, a, a home measure of whiskey would still make me wake up in the middle of the night feeling a bit weird sometimes and a bit panicky. A bit, it's, yeah. all, it's, all, it's all the stuff that comes with it. It's nice drinking at the time, but as you get older, the effects are worse. And, you know, the, as you say, you know, this is a, a drug that makes yeah. you anxious. <laughs> I wouldn't, yeah, I would look, I'll be, I'll be heartbroken if, you know, I'll see you in a year's time and, you, you know, and you're drinking eight pints of strong European lager a night and you then you blame it all on me. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I certainly, you know, I, I, I certainly wouldn't uh, I certainly wouldn't do that. But no. um, it does intrigue me how you have that pint and a half of Guinness revelation. Yeah. But then, you know, didn't learn from that in the sense I thought, well, Generally, not every time. I'll stick with this. I'll ring fence this. I think it's just because I think it becomes associated with something in your life. And I, th- I think for me, it was it was a way of overcoming my shyness and and a way of doing stuff that I wanted to do. I think, like in terms of, you know, I would I probably you know once I got a bit older, I would I would go out on dates and I'd always drink and probably get drunk. But it was you yeah. know I don't think through my twenties I. I'm not sure I ever had sex without being at least a little bit drunk. In front of my what twenties. I was getting at, so I think it was what, a big part you, of it. Okay, why did you continue drinking a lot after you'd identified the part yeah, no, of Guinea's sweet spot? That's the bit I don't understand. Is I why think not... because I think because it's still you're still using it. I think that's what's interesting about yeah. this book. You're still using it for that crutch for that. This makes yeah. me interesting. This means I'm part of the party. This means you know if I go on a this was before I met my wife. So you know I was still yeah. dating. If you if you go out on a date and someone's not drinking, you know, again, you judge them, or they might judge you, yeah. and also it's just that lubricant, social lubricant, uh, to to you know to get into a place where you can be, you know, I think it might just be you can behave in a way you want to behave. Maybe there's more consciousness behind it, and you can be a bit more outspoken. But if I wasn't drunk, mm-hmm. or if I if I didn't have that excuse of being drunk, I think, uh, you know, I I wouldn't, I'd have I'd have found it much more difficult. Yeah. I found socialising quite difficult anyway, but I would have found it much more difficult. So I think that it, it, it's the association with the past. And I think that's why men in their 40s and 50s are still drinking six or seven pints. It's because yeah, that's yeah. what I you did I'm, when you were 20, yeah, isn't yeah. it? It's but crazy. You're still, but you're still hanging, I'm still hanging around with those people, you know, <laughs> who I was at school with, I was at college with. And yeah, I mean, there was an interesting one, which I mentioned in the book, a guy I used to drink with, actually a judge now. And I met him for the, I met him one evening, we managed to meet somewhere. And I said, "What you what you're having?" And I went up to the bar. He said, "Oh, I'm driving. I'll just have a half." And I, I re I felt insulted. <laughs> it was like, "Is this?" It's like I felt like saying, "Is this all I mean to you now?" You know, you don't even trick me. It was absurd. Yeah, it was absolutely stinking thinking. And just as actually as the producer of that documentary, um, uh, Jess, as a, the documentary I made about it, as she said, "Now alcohol's the only drug you have to apologise for not taking." Yes. <laughs> you know, I think that's so true. So I sort of made a solemn promise, which I've, I've almost kept to, is that you know, never again would I have been, would I pressure anybody into drinking and yeah. never again would I be pressured into drinking by anyone. Yeah. And I'm more or less stuck to that. You know, now, however, I gave all this spiel, what I just said to you, to a, an audience at um, the Birmingham Literary Festival, just next to the town hall where I, I did your podcast with you. And I gave all this speech and everyone's nodded. And I saw at the back the mate I'd arranged to a meet afterwards, uh, you know, my, my best mate in Birmingham, Simo, if known as. And he, and I just, I hadn't seen him for ages, really looking forward to seeing him after this thing finished at 10 o'clock. And even as I was talking, I thought, fuck, you know, it's still true that if, you know, we go to the pub after this and he says, oh, I'm not drinking. You know, I'd, I'd be upset even now <laughs> yeah. i just can't help myself you know yeah. it's you know it's 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 absurd you know and i'm you know i'm, I'm working on this yeah but you it know is, it's, just, it's you interesting know, how it's, how it's, in, it's just it's interesting how ingrained it is into us and i think you know it's learned behavior and then it's very hard to shift and yeah i mean i used to go out for with all my university friends at christmas and you know if there was ever a christmas i wasn't drinking which there occasionally was you know that yeah. it was it was like a problem, you know. I think so. I yeah. think I probably did drink because for some of them, because I didn't want to be I the know, guy, know. you know, was letting my friends down. But if they're your friends, they then they shouldn't. 
they shouldn't care. But it, you know, it, I think that's. I think again, it's, it, it maybe it's more for men than women. I'm not sure that's true. But it, but from my point of view, I think it is. As someone who's always kind of rejected ma- machoism and and anything with that kind of thing, yeah. I think like through beer and eating curries, maybe was my way of demonstrating mm. that you know I was one of the lads and that I was. You know, drink. You know, we used to try and drink eight pints before eight o'clock in uh, the the college bar or whatever, and I, I could do wow. that. I, no, I couldn't man, do it now. Yeah. I mean, I can't, just yeah. the, congratulations. Yeah, but I still don't know what you do. I still don't know quite what you do with people who don't drink. Yeah, I mean, say I was, I don't know. Say I met someone at work. Say, oh, I live in like near you. Would you want to meet up tonight? You don't drink. I say we're not okay. You can go for a meal, but where else could you go? Even if you don't drink that much, but sit in a pub with somebody for three, four hours, yeah, drinking at whatever pace and chatting. How do you do that otherwise? <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, difficult. I could go for a walk. In fact, somebody in a, um, an Australian was saying to me um, that that is more of a thing in Australia. He just said you meet people. He was a big British boozer, yeah. but he lived in Australia in Sydney. He said, oh, people say, oh, let's go out for a walk. You know, that kind of social drinking and chatting was less part of it there. So people would say, you know, like proper big Aussies, oh, let's go for a walk together. Right. You know, and I, I quite like that, you know, I'll do that. But it's still not like sitting down and just drinking and chatting. No. What do people who don't drink do? I mean, you can't drink coffee all night. You never get to sleep. Um, it's true. It's difficult to think of. I mean, you could go 10 pin bowling. You could do something like that. You could no, but you know, you the just cinema, that's no good. Yeah. You want to no talk good. to somebody? Then I don't know. Oh, and I was just thinking. I've got, I spent a lot of time in a little village in South Wales, and it just struck me. You know, during uh, you know, just after lockdown, it still wasn't sort of the pubs. Just one pub there. It wasn't open. I just thought, you know, without the pub, you know, there's nowhere for the community to go in the evening. Yeah. Now a lot of them. You know, I don't want to think everybody wants to go to the pub. A lot of people, they never go to the pub. There's not pub people. But, I mean, there's, it's literally, it is literally the only thing that's open that's within walking distance. Yeah. There is nowhere else to go. So I think pubs are important in that regard. I mean, I mean, you know, you don't have to drink. But as, as community hubs, I think they're more or less on their own, you know, particularly in rural places. Yeah, well, maybe it's a British thing. I don't know if, you know, I think with Brit- it's so ingrained in sort of UK and uh, and Irish culture, to be fair, so that, that uh, you know, it, I don't know if it's the same elsewhere. Maybe it's maybe it's to do with even, you know, like in France, they don't worry about, you know, kids will have wine earlier on and they're not making a big deal of it. I wonder if just the very kind of that illicit nature of it when yeah. you are 12 or 13 or 14 and the fact you get this drink yeah. and you've done something amazing... And maybe you never quite lose. I think you talk about that. You never quite lose that feeling of, oh, I've been served. I've got the oh, drink. No. I'm still, I'm still <laughs> slightly pleasantly surprised. I'm 55. You know, I think I think we've got to be careful. It just occurs to me, talk to you now, we often say, oh, well, that's the Northern European drinking model going out and getting smashed. Now, how many times have you heard people saying that? Yeah. You know, it's not the Southern Europe sitting out for a couple of days. It's the British go out and get smashed. Well, you know, that that's true. We have that. But it's just to reiterate, it's only a minority of yeah. us okay. <laughs> yeah. who are like that. You know, it's not, you know, it's not generally the case. But then I was also thinking today, I mean, it was the first day of filming. I, 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 it was before a West Brom game um, before we made the documentary. And I was in the pub and it was a pub, we were playing Liverpool and there were a lot of Scousers in there and they were pissed out their heads at the back. And it was midday kickoff. They'd been in there since about eight in the morning. And so, you know, once again, I was doing that thing. And I'd had four pints, right, of Guinness. But so, but even then I was thinking, oh, they're drinking more than me. You know, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, at some level I was thinking I've got it in more, more in control than they <laughs> And... But then talking to them, talking to a couple of these lads, they said, I said, oh, so, you know, I've got talking about drinking. He said, oh, it's the only time I drink. I only drink when Liverpool play. So that's once a week. Right. And I think one of them said he only drinks for a Liverpool away games. Right. <laughs> At home, he doesn't bother. It's just what he does. They go out and get smashed Liverpool away games. So I'm busy sort of not looking down on them exactly, but thinking, oh, you know, drinking far too much. <laughs> I mean, I'll probably drink much more than them over yeah. a week. In fact, I'm sure I do. Yeah. 
yeah, you know, well, the, it, it, it's interesting, you know, how much more you get. You do get a lot more done and you do feel, you know, I've got young kids, so I don't feel like yeah. not tired. I still feel tired because I'm still up at five, 5.30 or 6.30 every day. But I think, you know, if I was up at 5.30, 6.30, that might be part of why I've stopped, really. It's just if I was up with even a minor yeah. hangover at that time, it would just make the morning sort of unbearable. But even then, you know, when I was at that, in that phase of my life with young kids, it was... You know, the, you know, as Roy Keane says in the book, there's always an excuse to drink. So yeah. getting the kids off to sleep, the little bleeders, I finally <laughs> got them down, read the story at last. Go, open the, what, up the wine, the beer, whatever, off you go. Yeah. Take them for a walk in the evening, the baby grow, or sit in the pub. With Paul Cook's dad, usually, interestingly. <laughs> used to, old Tommy used to drink in there. You know, that it... You know, couldn't go out, so you just drink at home. You know, if you if you're wired for it, you'll always find a way of, you know, yeah. you find a way of find a way of drinking. Yeah. Uh, well, look, it's it's re- it's a very interesting book, and it's a and it's it really made me think a lot about uh, about all sorts of things, really, and about myself. So that's that that's good. I would recommend it to drinkers and non-drinkers. It's it's definitely worth uh, thinking about this. Um, I, I noticed you drank uh, you, you drank in Albertines, unsurprisingly, in Shepherd's Bush, which I yeah. just drove past the other day, and it, I was disappointed to see it closed down. I used to live in Shepherd's Bush, so I used to go there quite yeah, a lot, but it's yeah. it's closed down now, which is a that feels like when a when a wine bar or a pub dies and is gone, that it still feels like uh, yeah. it feels a, 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 like a like a, a death in the family. A, really, a, like a bit of viewers, yeah, like a bit of viewers gone. Yeah. yeah, so it's a shame to see that go, but. Um, the uh, yeah, the book is called The Good Drinker, uh, and uh, it's available. And have you done the audio book? I haven't. Uh, I, haven't I have done an audio book. Yeah. yeah, I just think what a hostage to bloody fortune the good drinker is. <laughs> I'm going to have to give up sort of bar brawling, <laughs> streaking, and 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 and, <laughs> and all other kind of drunken hijinks. I'll have to stop them now. If I we'll get have caught, to stop now. Terrible. Although you know, I you're... thought at one stage I suggested which was the good drinker question mark just to give myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, because if but also you could with these things, you know, that's why that's why I don't make a big deal about having stopped drinking, and I'm not saying I've given up drinking because you know you never know where you'll find yeah. yourself, and I know myself too well to know that you know I've, I lose weight and then I put the weight back on and I stop drinking and yeah. I start drinking again. Uh, I do feel for myself that I might have I might have actually hit the point where I'm not going to go back in any serious way, yeah. but but yeah, you can't you can't uh, you can't predict where the future's going to go, and it, it you know it's. Yeah, I mean, I, I I sort of admire it. I admire you for for finding that way through, and for as you say, for just if it's fifty units to thirty five units, that's still a very impre- very important. Yeah, well, those fifteen <laughs> units between fifty and thirty five that you're yeah. losing, that's doing relative. You're doing you relatively more good than going from thirty to fifteen units, even yeah. though that involves halving your intake. You know, it's just. Yeah. Just because the way the, the you know the way the, the the risk increases very steeply the more you drink, so it it decreases very steeply the you know the less you drink from 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 that from that high level. Yeah. Um, but look, you know, don't, don't look, don't, don't, please don't, don't get back into it. If you, <laughs> I if don't think, doing... I don't think I am going to go oh, back yeah. into it. I, I occasionally miss it, but I just don't. I don't think I miss it enough. Weirdly. No. And, you know, and I, I love drinking when I drank. Most of the time it was fun. Sometimes it led me to do ridiculous and stupid things. Most of yeah. those were funny things. But uh, but yeah, you know, and I, people, I, you, know, you don't you don't want to live in a world where people are, uh, are feeling they can't do anything that's that's naughty or bad for them yeah. without. But but I think for certain people, it's definitely worth looking at. And I think it's exactly that. It's 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 the group of people that you and I have been in uh, who. Who really sort of think, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I remember, yeah. I remember a girlfriend who didn't drink. I had like twenty or twenty five years ago, who was who was convinced I was an alcoholic, and I was convinced I wasn't because she didn't drink at all. So the amount that I drank to her seemed unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, I, I did. I just told her she was ridiculous. I think it, she was being a bit ridiculous, but equally, she could see something that I couldn't see about myself that I was relying on drink too much. So. It's but you know, you could see you were just drinking a lot, you know, it's again yeah. that alcoholic label. Yeah. You know, you're either drinking a little, a medium amount, or an awful lot. And yeah. but next to somebody who doesn't drink at all, then yeah, you know, a, you know, one pint a night looks like a <laughs> looks like an astonishing uh, yeah. you know, looks like an astonishing thing to do. But you know, <laughs> but you know, but, 
you know, like where you've got to, you know, you do, you know, so <laughs> yeah. don't, don't, don't do it, mate. Don't no, do okay. It. I won't. Well, the book's great. I love the, your writing style's great, Adrian. It's, uh, oh, it's very authentic and that's what I like about it. It's not, you're not a pretentious writer, uh, but you also do come up with some, you know, you recognize a, a lovely phrase for yourself and in other people's writing as well within yeah. this book. And so it's a lover of words and, uh, and, and it's a, it's an easy book to read and, uh, and a book that will make you think a lot. So uh, thank you very much for talking to me about it. Uh, uh, thank you to Chris Evans, not that one for uh, producing this show. I uh, hope to see you again soon, Adrian. Well, I can have a non-alcoholic beer with you at some point. Cheers, mate. I'll All have right. one for you. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thanks for listening. RichardHerring.com slash gigs. GoFasterStripe.com for all my books, downloads, all that sort of shizzle. Oh, yeah, I know all the cool words. And... Um, would love to see you on the on the can I have my ball back tour if you can make it bye